0: Good morning, Twitter! I'm Alex Berg, she's Stephanie McNeil, and you are watching am to dm
1: How was your weekend, Stephanie? It was good. I'm a little tired, a little sore. I ran the Chicago Marathon this weekend, for those of you who didn't see me posting on social media. But I feel like, thanks guys, thank you. Um, So yeah, I got back pretty late last night. I have a lot of caffeine in my body and I'm standing on my shoes, but otherwise I'm feeling good. So you mean to say you went to Chicago, yes?
0: ran 26 point however many miles, and then got on a plane in a tiny little seat,
1: came back, turned it all around, and here you are standing on the set. Yeah, that's how dedicated I am to the show. So you're welcome.
0: <laughs> you are a far better woman than me. I can maybe run a couple of miles on a very good day with a whole lot of training.
1: Yeah, I mean, it takes a lot of training. It was a lot of fun. Um, actually, on the plane back last night, the pilot got on the thing and said, congratulations to all the runners. And it was like three quarters of the plane. It was just like a really cool event. But hey it wave. Was- Did you give a little wave to everyone? Hello, yeah. yeah. I am like, accomplished. Hello, it's I me. ran the- <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, but it was a lot of fun. But happy to be here, too, obviously. Well, I'm not the only person posting on social media this weekend. Taylor Swift is lighting up our timelines this morning. The singer endorsed two Tennessee Democrats in an Instagram post, writing, In the past, I've been reluctant to publicly voice my political opinions. But due to several events in my life and in the world in the past two years, I feel very differently about that now.
0: Emily Gorskenzi tweeted in response, I didn't expect that the reinforcements in the culture war would be Juggalos and Taylor Swift fans, but here we are. Yeah,
1: you had to explain that Juggalos thing to me. <laughs> I didn't know that they were so politically active, but I was very surprised that Taylor came out. I I know I've talked in the show. I'm a light Taylor Swift hater. I just I don't mean I don't wish bad things on her. I just don't really like her, but I have to give her props for this one. I think It was time for her to speak out and I thought her post was very thoughtful. It wasn't rushed. It seemed like she's been thinking about this a lot and you know, she's encouraging people to get involved in local elections and speaking her mind. I, I guess you can't you can't hate on her for that. Look, I too am no Taylor Swift stan.
0: However, I was happy to see that she finally decided to use her uh, kind of pop culture imprint uh, to do some good. I know a lot of people have critiqued her for a long time for being kind of apolitical. And, you know, seeing her thoughtful post, it made me think about who gets to position themselves as apolitical in this world, right? You have to be in a really specific kind of position and circumstance to say, hey, these issues don't touch my life. But what I hope is that maybe her fans who don't know about, let's see, LGBTQ issues, systemic racism, some of the things that she pointed to in that post, will now be more engaged with these issues.
1: Yeah, for sure. And you have to wonder, I mean, the guy, that, the guys that she endorsed have to be thrilled, right? <laughs> I mean, Taylor Swift, endorsement. I guess it's too early to say she's never really endorsed anyone before, but... I mean, you have to be pretty good for their... Well, time will only tell. And
0: Twitter, we want to hear from you. What artists would you like to see endorse specific candidates or be more political? Tweet us using the hashtag am dm Stephanie, are there any artists that you want to see throw their hat in the ring and uh,
1: get their support behind somebody? I, I, like, I feel like a lot of people that I follow and appreciate, I think, do the level of political activism that I appreciate, which is going to the Women's March and doing things they, I don't, I, don't, I don't really think, I'm not a huge like celebrity to be super involved person, but I don't know, what about you? I would love to see
0: the Ariana Grande endorsement. She's already kind of political, uh, you know, she supported various kinds of causes, um, but I would love to see the kinds of politicians she's supporting. I feel that the Grande endorsement would be quite coveted. What about, you know, Beyonce running for president? Also that, of course, <laughs> always. Well, let's move on to another story. People across the country are off of school and work today and Twitter users are highlighting Indigenous people on a holiday that some still call Columbus Day. Shana White tweeted, good morning to educators who celebrate, honor, and respect Indigenous people today and throughout the year by teaching students non-whitewashed curriculum that often centers
1: and label people heroes who were actually terrible people, e.g. Columbus. Spooky Issa tweeted, Happy Indigenous Peoples Day. I may not know much about my native heritage, but I celebrate the preservation and continuation of our rich culture in a world that has not always been so kind. Lubu tweeted, Instead of celebrating
0: a man who killed and raped indigenous people, try celebrating the strength and resilience of indigenous people who have survived 526 years of genocide. Force assimilation, colonialism, and discrimination. We shall remain.
1: Yeah, in that tweet, we can see a photo of, I assume this Twitter user, and another member of their family or their friends. And one of the things I noticed this morning as I was looking through tweets about Indigenous People's Day is I feel like Twitter has been very kind of sad to be on recently. And obviously we shouldn't let all the atrocities committed against Native Americans go untalked about. But something that I found really encouraging is people are not only talking about why Columbus Day is problematic, but they're sharing really cool photos and stories of their native heritage to celebrate this day, as opposed to just saying, you know, this is all awful, like we shouldn't do this. They're like, no, this is our day and we should celebrate. Here's some cool things about my culture that you might not know. And I've learned a little bit and I feel like everyone should look at the hashtag and look at all the cool stuff people are sharing because it's really nice. Definitely. I mean, I think that you're pointing to the resilience that people are expressing online and I have a really
0: a great appreciation for how people are challenging the status quo um, around this day and also the kind of history that we're all taught in schools and, you know, what we're taught to believe about the history of this nation Um, and just kind of reframing that narrative and sharing their own stories and the impact that it's had on them, it was interesting this morning, Patrick, our producer, um, shared a story in the New York Times about, you know, why Columbus became um, this big figure on this day. And uh, and, and interestingly, it was uh, part of an effort by Italian-Americans to push back against xenophobia. So obviously, you
1: know, a really complicated uh, narrative there. Yeah, I think some of the best tweets I read were from people who are teachers or educators talking about how in their classrooms they try to present the issue as more nuanced and teach people about uh, Native Americans and everything they brought to this country. So I think that's really encouraging, too. I think the next generation is going to have a different experience yeah, than we Yeah, loving the hashtag Indigenous Peoples Day 2018. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, here's a tweet from Sean King on Friday. Chicago police officer Jason Van Dyke was just found guilty of the murder of Laquan McDonald. This justice was hard fought. While it does not bring back the life that was stolen, it's an important step. Those who covered it up need to be next, one step at a time.
0: In response to the verdict, Rashad Robinson, the president of Color of Change, tweeted, this has weighed heavy on my soul for years, and finally justice, hoping that this can bring his loved ones some peace. We will never forget your memory, Laquan. Rashad joins us now. Good morning.
2: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
0: Now, when you heard the verdict, what was the first thing that went through your mind?
2: Well, it was a relief. It was a sense of relief that um, at least the the, the system um, produced a level of justice. And far too often, um, we see these situations come down, um, even with video, even with eyewitnesses. And the system continues over and over to send a message that law enforcement are above the law. And so there was a sense at first of just relief that the verdict came back guilty, that um, the jury deliberated, they looked at the facts um, and that, you know, in essence, um, the, the family has um, a sense of relief um, to move forward.
1: A lot of people on Twitter have been talking about the next steps in this case, holding other people accountable who, you know, covered it up, didn't release the video for a year. Do you think that's going to happen?
2: Well, it's already happened, in fact. You know, the this movement, um, you know, um, after Laquan McDonald really rose up, um, a national movement to start holding prosecutors and district attorneys accountable. And one of the first, um, you know, folks that was really held accountable was the former state attorney um, in Cook County, Chicago, uh, was Anita Alvarez. And my organization, Color of Change, through our political action committee, along with organizations like... BYP 100, the Racial, um, the Workers' Center for Racial Justice, and, and other groups on the ground in Chicago mobilized, you know, literally tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of voters, increased voter turnout among young Black people, and kicked Anita Alvarez out of office and elected Kim Fox, who ran on a reform platform and really built that movement. And we've moved that movement into electing reform-minded prosecutors in places like, in places not only like Chicago, but in Philadelphia, Orlando, and most recently kicking out Bob McCullough, the 27-year incumbent, um, who was the prosecutor who decided um, not to bring charges against Darren Wilson, the um, police officer who killed Michael Brown in Ferguson. And so my organization has been behind this. So Justice has already started to move to really hold what we call the enablers, those um, elected officials, those in power that play see no evil, speak no evil and hear no evil and allow law enforcement to in so many ways act above the law.
1: It's so encouraging when you see something horrible like this happen and for people to take this tragedy and turn it into action and see real change happening. I want to read a tweet real quick from Black Lives Matter. While this is a victory, we will continue to fight for a divestment in law enforcement, investment in our communities and a world where black people are not gunned down by police. Rashad, so what do you think? that this case will have an impact on the Black Lives Matter movement nationwide. And you've already talked about the ways it's making an impact. What do you think some other impacts might be?
2: So I think I think some other impacts is that, you know, first and foremost, you know, the the changing the narrative and by narrative, I mean, the rules and norms of society. For far too often, police have been sent a message um, that they can um, sort of do what they want and face no consequences. And, you know, in some ways that message is still clear. I mean, the Fraternal Order of Police in Chicago released a statement right after this verdict, basically attacking the jury, attacking politicians, and and not in any way um, remaining accountable for what happened with 16 shots in the back of Laquan McDonald and the suppression of that video. Um, What we recognize is that this is not just about holding police accountable. This is not just about holding prosecutors accountable, but it's about reimagining what safety and justice look like. Safety and justice, and imagining in a world where we can divest from this type of law enforcement and invest in the type of things that prevent crime, prevent poverty, prevent things um, on the front end, education, healthcare, mental health, all of these things that we recognize that when you invest in communities and you invest in people and invest in the future, of people, what you do is you create communities that are more whole, more safe, and more just. And so much about our work, yes, is about accountability on police officers, but really about imagining a future where all of us can feel like society is on our side. And that's the work we're doing at Color of Change. That's what the work we're doing with our partners at Black Lives Matter and so many other organizations. That's why this verdict um, is not just important for the family, but important for us. To really start sending a message um, about what um, change can look like in our communities.
0: One of the things you mentioned earlier is that by showing up to the polls, uh, that's one way of uh, pushing change. Um, but in terms of getting involved in this kind of work, you know, what can folks be doing um, in their own communities? Uh, you know, as they uh, kind of contemplate this verdict.
2: Well, this is this is actually a great question. We recently lost launched a, a, a website called WinningJustice.org. WinningJustice.org, and it's the first of its platform that allows you to look at your local district attorney and what they do. Um, Before this, there was no place where you could go and look up the um, 2,400 district attorneys around the country. Right now, 80% of district attorneys run unopposed. We've got to change that in this country. They are the most powerful actors in the criminal justice space. They're not just there to hold police officers accountable, but they decide whether or not someone gets a high bail or not. They decide whether or not young people actually get treated um, as young people in the criminal justice system. They decide who gets charged for a drug offense and who doesn't. All of these sort of um, decisions, the unwritten rules of our society about who gets the benefit of the doubt and who doesn't, district attorneys, Um, decide that. And while we are supporting legislation to sort of rein in the power of district attorneys, right now, district attorneys every single day are being elected who need to be held accountable. And so I'd invite your members to join us at Color of Change, join this movement to not just hold district attorneys accountable, but in essence, really translating the presence of these issues, the visibility of these issues into the power to actually change the rules, that's how we make justice real for all of us. So go to winningjustice.org, go to colorofchange.org. These are places where you can join us in this movement, join us in the local level with your with local organizations, because the work um, is not just about what we do at the ballot box in November, but what we do beyond that to hold the people we put in office accountable and make justice um, equal for all of us. Justice
0: equal for all of us. Thank you so much for joining, Rashad.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: And we have a great show for you today. The cast of the Charm* reboot is here, and of course, we'll be talking all about Kavanaugh. But up next, we have fire tweets. Fire! Welcome back everybody. Uh, I want to bring up this tweet from uh, Miss Jonesy who said, accountability, yes, good. Uh, you know, I think that it's really great when we have these conversations about police brutality or even what we're talking about um, with you know, Columbus Day to give people actionable items about things that they can do. Rashad was really great in terms of talking about how people can get involved.
1: I know, and I think sometimes people get really discouraged because if elections aren't going the way that you would like on a national level, it can feel like you don't have a difference. But I thought his point was really good where he said district attorneys have so much power and that they've gone around and been able to make a change with district attorneys who maybe understand everything a little bit better. I mean, that's great. That's huge. I mean, they're the people who are making all these decisions. So I would encourage anyone who f- is reading the news and not really feeling like, they can make a difference in anything. Look in your own community, look at the local level. You can really make a big difference. <sighs>
0: Stephanie, you're just bringing me to a better, happier place this Monday morning with well, everything Well, it's like saying. the
1: news has been really <laughs> depressing, and so I'm just really trying to focus on good things right now. <laughs> well, you know what's also fun, friends? Fire tweets. Fire! Okay.
0: Ready? Mark Hoppus. Of Blink-182. Of Blink-182 fame, <laughs> just bought a 1.4 million bank seat. Time to take a huge sip of coffee and open
1: today's news. Yeah, that was so great. This
0: story was kind of wild, yeah. right? Stephanie, what happened? Exactly? Okay, so
1: obviously, I think you guys all know Banksy. If not, Google, Wikipedia, whatever. Um, so he, I guess, has always said that he doesn't want his art to be sold, and so someone sold a print of his, and he put it in this frame. That when the sale went through, it sold for I think 1.4 million, 1.5 million. Yeah, 1.4. This frame destroyed the painting if you haven't seen it it's a really it's I mean I don't want to say f- I mean fun it's kind of funny I don't know. Thanks, was it's like funny. you will not get the last say I shall destroy my own work of art yeah exactly um, it's a really funny video anyway if you haven't seen it watch it all right ready mads kettle, screaming you want a nice calming cup of tea yeah you want to fucking relax is this helping should I scream louder
0: Ah! This is how I feel like the news cycle screams at me. Like, mm-hmm. you wanna you wanna fucking relax? Guess what? You're not gonna fucking relax, because I'm here to make you depressed every single day. Hmm, fun.
1: Ooh. You should go have a some sip some tea. Maybe I should. I should go, yeah. <laughs>
0: Patrick's telling us that uh, we're a little bit dark today. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's one of those you know. days. Leaning into it. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, she twittin'. Since only men got to serve on the Supreme Court for its first almost 200 years, it seems fair that only women should get to serve on it for its
1: next 200 years. Yeah, one of our producers, Julia, was saying in our meeting that she thinks this is like kind of a knockoff kind of, of a Ruth Bader Ginsburg quote where she said, "The like I guess she was asked, how many women do you want to see on the Supreme Court? And she said nine.
0: Same, but uh, I don't want to see just any women on the Supreme Court as we have seen in recent days. Uh, you know." Not everybody, oh. not everybody is always working towards uh, the advancement of women, even if they are a woman, shall that's we say.
1: I just that. I wanna get in the group chat of like Elena, Sonia, and Ruth. Like, what are they Hell, what are they yeah. talking about? That's what I wanna see in my if I like, you know, die and go to heaven. That's yeah. like the What's that's the transcript there? I wanna What's see. <laughs> there? Yeah. All right. Allie Drucker, stages of writing something. I have no ideas. Am human trash monster. Hey, this doesn't completely suck. This actually completely sucks. Well, maybe this only sucks a little. I'm a genius. Please erect monuments in my honor. Wait, this still sucks. Send. So real. I was trying to do some acting there. I don't. know I, if really, I really appreciated it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's Monday. I was trying. I was. I was trying. You were trying. You were doing it. All right. Should we get to this tweet of the day?
0: Yes. Okay. This is from Nick Cage Match. A truly excellent username. Ready? A dating app called Timber, where I just cut men down to be burned
1: later. Wow. That's dark. In I Cage match. would download that shit in a minute. What does it say about me that this just reminds me of the Pitbull song? Like going down. Oh, yeah. All right. Tim On that note. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, you guys. My brain is mush right now. But don't worry. Up next, we're going live from the district. So stay tuned. On to another
0: uplifting topic. Welcome back. We're going live from the district with BuzzFeed News Capitol Hill reporter Paul McLeod. Good morning, Paul.
3: Hey, good morning.
1: Okay, Paul. I have a hard-hitting political question for you. Who else is vying for the coveted Taylor Swift endorsement now?
3: <laughs> Who cares what Taylor Swift thinks? Last night, I saw a show <laughs> by Canada's Taylor Swift, Carly Rae Jetson, and she was fantastic. So she's the only pop star whose who's endorsements I care about.
1: That's true. We stand, amazing Canadian Carly. I That's gotta true.
0: say, Carly Rae Jetson, totally underrated. I'm, I'm absolutely here with you, Paul. Totally agree.
3: Yeah, she is. She is really good love.
0: Okay, well, sadly, we cannot uh, ruminate over our favorite pop stars all morning. Here's okay. a tweet from Lisandra Villa. I always thought landslides were kind of boring anyway, starts McConnell at his post-Kavanaugh vote presser. Whew, Paul, you had a busy weekend reporting on the Kavanaugh vote. What was it like covering everything?
3: Uh, tiring. Um, it, was, uh, it was definitely... Uh, I mean, I think we all witnessed history. It was educational. I mean, certainly after Christine Blasey Ford testified, uh, all of the word we were hearing from Republicans and over the White House was, "This is a disaster." Brett Kavanaugh is going to. There's no way he can survive this. And then we saw things get incredibly political. We saw the GOP base get really energized, and Republicans realized, "No, we can do this." There's a benefit to us for for pounding this through. And uh, it was it was educational how quickly the winds of uh, chance can really change here.
1: I think one of the things that struck me about the whole thing was it was such a huge moment in our history and everyone was so engaged in it. And I was in Chicago on Saturday and I opened up my phone and I just was like, oh, he's he's been sworn in. Like it just happened so quickly. Do you think it's Like, is the debate over now? It just seemed like it was all leading up to something, and now it's just done. I don't know. It's kind of jarring, right?
3: Uh, Yeah, I mean... It is. And, and, and Towards the end, it, it happened very quickly in that last 24 hours or so. And and yeah, I mean, it is the fight is over, but I don't think this is going to be something that's going to fade from view anytime soon. This is something that people are going to be talking about for years or decades. And certainly in the short term, I think this is going to be something that is going to have a major impact in the midterm elections, because I agree with you. I mean, the amount of people who are paying attention, the amount of people who are angry. This was not just a normal political fight. This really transcended that.
1: Yes, for sure. Well, here's a tweet from CNN's Phil Mattingly. The protesters in the Senate galleries have been popping up one by one in different sections, making it a bit difficult for Capitol Police to get to them. One had to be dragged out by her arms and legs after she laid down on the stairs. That is a visual. Paul, is it common to see protesters in the congressional galleries? And did you see any of this firsthand?
3: Yeah, I was, I was in the gallery for, for when this was all uh, playing out. It, it's not unheard of for protesters to be in the gallery, and sometimes for really, really charged issues, uh, there will be some in there. Obviously, this was unusual for a Supreme Court nomination vote uh, for this to be happening and it, it was fascinating because different people kept standing up at different times and whenever one of the key swing votes would, would vote yes uh, I mean, you know, Susan Collins, there was a disruption of protesters, Joe Manchin J- Jeff Flake actually when he voted yes one guy just stood up and yelled, You're a coward, Flake, and walked out. He didn't even wait for security to come pull him out. He just walked out of the room. Uh, th- at the end, there was a woman who was yelling, uh, what was it? She was something like, This is a, this is a shame on our his- this is a stain on our history. Do you realize that? I mean, it was uh, jarring and powerful, especially when you see these people yelling, getting dragged out by security, and senators all just sort of sitting there staring ahead, kind of having to pretend that it's not happening.
4: Oh,
0: jarring and powerful. Well, speaking of senators' responses, here's a tweet from Yahoo News: Cory Booker says Kavanaugh impeachment shouldn't be off the table. Paul, is this something that Democrats could actually pursue if they win in November?
3: No, no. I mean, there is no situation in which Democrats have the have enough people elected in the House and the Senate to actually impeach Brett Kavanaugh now. What could happen is they could win the House and the House Judiciary Committee could decide to do an investigation into whether he perjured himself. Uh, that, I, I can tell you that there are a lot of Democrats who are mortified of that scenario because they think it will be seen as score settling, of being sore losers uh, rather than actually trying to get to the, the bottom of the truth. So I would be surprised if that happened, but we, we certainly couldn't rule it out. Something like that could happen. Actual impeachment, I don't think, is, is realistic.
0: Well, Paul, thank you so much for that
1: clarification. Yeah. We'll talk to you soon.
3: See ya. Y- Have a good one, guys.
1: Here's a video that BuzzFeed News Supreme Court correspondent Chris Geidner tweeted shortly after Kavanaugh's confirmation was announced.
0: Chris joins us now. Good morning.
5: Good morning, guys.
0: Now, this confirmation process has been a long journey, to say the least. To what extent was this a departure from uh, previous votes?
5: I mean, th- this was the, the closest confirmation vote of a Supreme Court justice since 1881, um, when, when there was a, a, a one vote uh determination that that led to someone being on the supreme court um it, it is but the the reality is that, that, as Paul sort of suggested, when when it comes to, to things like talk of impeachment, um, when it comes to the court, the the fact is he he's now a justice, and there's no there there is no delineation among the justices um, in terms of their their vote count and what what powers they have uh, based on what their what their confirmation vote was. And so while everything up to Saturday afternoon was, was very, very uh, closely divided and difficult and looked like it might not happen for a while. Uh, from the moment he was sworn in later on Saturday, he, he became uh, one of nine justices.
1: I know. I think a lot of people are feeling it was very jarring after all of that for it all to happen very quickly and kind of under the radar. And now he's on the Supreme Court. So looking ahead, what are some cases that we should keep our eye on that he might be deciding over in the future?
5: Yeah, I mean, we there, there are a lot of cases. The court um, were in a little bit of an unusual position. The court just started its term last week, and so he he's he missed the first six arguments uh, of the term, uh, but he presumably will be uh, on the bench right away tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Uh, for, for two cases uh, over federal sentencing law, uh, criminal sentence law and uh, then he'll be going forward. And we, we've got some big cases. We've got a case this week over uh, immigration detention policies. We have cases coming up over uh, things like dual sovereignty, which has to do with whether or not you can be charged by state and federal government for the same crimes. We have cases over um, things like whether the Eighth Amendment's ban on excessive fines applies to the states. Um, a thing called incorporation. Those are all uh, big issues that, depending on what's decided, could could have uh, big implications. But the 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 real question is the things that aren't yet before the court that that could um, things like the future of DACA, things like Trump's trans military ban, things like whether or not. Uh, Title VII's ban on sex discrimination includes sexual orientation and gender identity. All of those issues are, are sort of pending in lower courts and are making their way to the Supreme Court, and now there there is a... Uh, pretty much a a solid 5-4 conservative majority on the court that will be, uh, one, deciding whether or not to hear the case, and remember, it only takes four justices to agree to hear a case, and then uh, deciding the the cases that they do decide to hear.
0: Chris, you mentioned the solid conservative majority on the court. Um, Do we have a sense yet of how Kavanaugh's confirmation will impact public perception of the Supreme Court?
5: I mean, I I think we we have questions of, of one, how the court will deal with it, two, how the Trump administration will deal with it, three, how Congress will deal with it, and then four, how people will deal with it. And the court, right from the start, uh, really tried to, uh, it looked like separate politics, um, you notice that both the the constitutional oath and the judicial oath happened in private at the Supreme Court on Saturday. Uh, there, there was no uh, White House swearing in like we had with Justice Gorsuch last year. Um, so the, the court is already trying to sort of pull back and, and remind people that they're a court and not a part of the political body. But then on the other uh, side of the the coin at the White House. You had Press Secretary Sarah Sanders on Saturday night basically saying this is a political body um, and that this is a, a 5 4 conservative court as opposed to uh, the 6 3 court liberal court that it would have been under Hillary Clinton, which is sort of the opposite probably of what the court wanted to see. And so the the, the implications then rippling outward will be what people believe, and, and that will be uh, a big challenge for the court. And it'll be a huge challenge for Chief Justice Roberts, who has has really tried to uh keep the court from being seen as as more political than it already is uh, in this sort of high tension era of hearing cases over sort of the authority of the Trump administration to take certain actions.
1: It's definitely going to be very fascinating to see how this issue and everything that stemmed from it is going to impact the way that people see the Supreme Court in the future. Thank you so much for covering this, Chris. Thank you. Here's a natural segue. Up next, I talk about how fucked up the process to get an IUD is. Stay tuned. Here's a tweet from Casey Johnston. The process of IUD insertion is absolute bullshit and violent. There are a million ways it doesn't have to be the worst pain of your entire life, but no one tries to make it better because people could give a shit about women. Casey wrote about that bullshit process for the outline and she joins us now. Casey, thank you so much for coming yes, on. thank you for having me. So I was just telling you, I sent this piece to so many people I know. My husband, my really? mom, my friends. Oh, well, thank be- you. Of course, because it really struck a chord with me because it's true. A lot of times I feel like people don't understand how painful the process of getting an IUD is. Yes. So you talked a little bit about your experience. Can you talk about it a little bit?
6: Yeah. um, So I really waffled about getting one for a long time, but eventually decided to just take the plunge. And um, I went to a gynecologist who was affiliated with a great hospital here. Um, I had sort of had an expectation that it could be either some women are like, you might go right back to work after and be fine and you don't feel anything. And some were like, it hurts and you might need to take the rest of the day off work, but like eventually you'll recover. And maybe it feels like a pinch, but it'll be fine. So I got in there and it was uh, the worst pain I've ever experienced. It definitely does not feel like a pinch. (laughs) It does not feel like a pinch. And uh, it feels not only pain, but like uh, it gives you like a fight or flight response where you're like, I need to get out of here, but you can't, it like freezes you, you can't move, and you can't do anything about it, you just have to like lie there. And it's just like, it's terrifying, and it, it obviously hurts really bad, so it's it's just like a terrible experience overall.
1: Yeah, I, I had an IUD last year. I did it without any drugs at all. I never have any mm-hmm. painkillers or anything. Um, I think it does depend on your pain tolerance and the doctor, mm-hmm. but I think one of the things I was surprised by that I didn't hear about before, it is like, you have all this panic in your body, and you're sweating, and yep. that happened to me too, like my heart was racing, it was yes. crazy. women faint, and yeah. not only do they faint, but I heard from many
6: women after I wrote this piece that they faint after they leave the doctor's office, like they're going to get, they're going to a pharmacy or something, to get like a heating pad or whatever, and they faint in the streets. And I was like, this is just madness. And yeah, the fact that you don't get any pain medication or like anything to manage it leading up to it, like when you get your wisdom teeth out, you get like shot up with Novocaine or some people even get put under. But for an IUD, you get nothing. And afterward, they'll be like, they'll open like a single serve Motrin for you and be like, here you go, here's a cup of water. And it's like, it does nothing
1: for you. Yeah. I think I loved your piece so much because I loved your headline, which <laughs> said if men got IUDs, they would get an epidural, mm-hmm. they would be put under. Mm-hmm. And I think when I was talking about it with my doctor, for me, it was a very spur of the moment decision because, like you, I had gone back and forth. I was very nervous about the pain, obviously, and she was kind of like, I can put it in for you for 20 minutes, in 20 minutes, and I was like, oh, if boy. I ne- if I don't do it now, I'm never gonna come back and yeah, do it. Yeah. So I discussed with her the option of, can I be sedated for this? Which seems like, you know, why not? And she yeah. said she wasn't sure if my insurance would cover it. Mm-hmm. So why do you think it is that women's pain does not get these type of things that, like you said, you get for a dental surgery. I mean, you get
6: right.
5: you get
1: numbed up for a cavity, yes, right. So
6: I have no, I mean, it's like society hates women is the only like conclusion I can come back around to. I mean, it's it's crazy. And I heard from so many women too, where mid insertion process, their doctors were like, you're overreacting, shut, not shut up, but like stop, like calm down. you're gonna be fine. And it's just like, Having felt that pain, if someone had said that to me mid-process, I, I like don't know what I would have done. It's, it's crazy that no one believes that it hurts that bad or that
1: it is deserving of some kind of pain management. One of our producers, Caroline, tweeted, uh, that she thinks if we knew what it was like to be hitting the balls, we would laugh. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. It, hurt, it hurts really bad. So, but why do you think that doctors are so inconsistent in how they prep women for this process? Because I feel like my doctor did a pretty good job. I mean, yeah, I didn't have any pain medication, but she was very honest with me. She was, you know, the nurse came in, held my hand. They did some breaths. Like I, I think I had a Pretty good experience. It okay. was very painful, okay. but I think she did some things to help me. Okay. But then you hear from other women who the doctors, like you said, kind of talk down to them, mm-hmm. act like it's no big deal. Is it because it's a newer thing? Is it just because I don't I think don't it's a big deal? I don't think it's that it's newer, but I think
6: the idea that it won't be painful is that doctors sort of operate on the hope that because some women do truly f- not feel anything. I don't think they're. Um, downplaying it. I think some women truly are like, I felt nothing. It maybe was a pinch or maybe some some women are like, no pain at all. So, and that, yeah, I know. (laughs) And it seems like there's at least enough of them that doctors are like, let's roll the dice on. Maybe this will be totally painless, but even if it's pain, it's only for a little bit, so it's fine. But um, I think they're resting on the broader experience that some people feel no pain, some people feel pain and like, let's just hope for the best kind of, which is not, a way that medicine should work, in my opinion, like, and there's not even, I I can only feel like there must be some sort of indicator out there of how bad your pain is going to be, but no one has done the research about like, oh, your your cervix is crooked, your uterus is like positioned in such a way that it might be tied to a certain amount of pain. They're kind of just like, we'll see when we get in there, and then either it's going to hurt or it's not.
1: Yeah, I remember I asked my doctor, have you had an IUD, and she said no, but I wonder if it was something that more people experienced, say like like wisdom teeth or more doctors experience. You know, obviously a male doctor can experience getting an Mm -hmm. IUD if it'd be something that was a little more streamlined. Okay, Casey, I could talk to you about this forever, but unfortunately have to wrap. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Up next, a new oxygen series based on the reporting by BuzzFeed's Katie Baker is out right now, and it comes highly recommended. And Katie joins Alex next.
0: Oxygen premiered the true crime stories, Unspeakable Crime, The Killing of Jessica Chambers, about the murder of a teenager in a small Mississippi town and how it captivated social media. BuzzFeed News investigative reporter Katie Baker's reporting inspired the show and she joins me now. Katie, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Alright, so I want to look back at some of your reporting initially that went on to inspire this series. Back in 2015, uh, how did you come to investigate the story? I became really fascinated with Jessica's story when I came across a
7: Facebook page called Jessica Chambers Mystery. On this page, all of these people from all over the country were harassing Jessica's friends and family, demanding to know where they were the night of of her murder. And I thought that it was really um, just kind of bizarre and horrifying that people had become so obsessed with a murder in a town they had never been to, and I wanted
0: to know more about that dynamic. Yeah, in uh, the series itself, you actually say that, you know, people were like watching the investigation in real time, was there something about this case that really compelled people to jump in on social media?
7: For sure, Jessica grew up in a tiny town in Mississippi of only 500 or so people. So I think people, and she died in a really personal way. She was burned alive in this really gruesome, horrific way. And so I think people were just, like they thought, well, someone in her life must have done this to her because it's so personal and because the town is so small. And as the months went by and the police didn't come up with any suspects, for some, you know, a man in Canada or a woman in California thought,
0: well, I could do a better job at solving this. Which is just, uh, you know, so bananas how kind of this true crime moment has led us to people thinking they can be better uh, detectives almost, uh, you know, uh, at their own screens. That wasn't, um, you know, wasn't, just some of the tension that arose, uh, you know, in the wake of the case. Um, there were also some really troubling racial dynamics happening in the town. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, and also how what was happening on social media kind of fed into the di- that dynamic?
7: For sure, I think that alt-right bloggers spurred that completely. Hmm. So back in 2015, when I wrote the story, we weren't calling them alt-right yet, but it was Chuck Johnson and all these now semi-prominent conservative guys who were obsessed with the idea that she was this young white woman and they thought that she had been killed by a black man and they really started spreading that and blogging about that and that definitely caused racial strife in the town that wasn't there in that way
0: before. Mm-hmm. and. Uh- I was also just uh, intrigued by how the, what people were doing on social media had a direct impact on people in the town. What did you hear from people about what it was like to be on the receiving end of almost being suspects themselves, kind of online? It was really stressful for them and obviously what what I went through um,
7: is not the same since I don't live there, but even when I was there reporting, people started asking questions about me and why I was there and maybe I was related to the killer. And I realized, you know, I had thought, well, why are these people responding and, and defending themselves. They don't have to do that. But then when it's turned on you, I felt like I had to go say, no, I'm just a reporter. I'm not related to the killer. Um, and I kind of experienced that firsthand. Of It feels very strange to be accused of something that, you know, awful.
0: Yeah. So there is actually some news uh, about a second mistrial. Where are we right now? with this case. Yeah, last week there was just a
7: second mistrial. Um, The prosecution argued that uh, a guy named Quentin Tellis had murdered her, who she had only known for about a week or so before her murder. And um, the thing that I think the jury keeps getting really stuck on is that before Jessica died, first responders say that she said Eric did this to me, or Eric or Derek, and they can't find a suspect that is named anything resembling Eric. But I think for the jury, and this is a serious case with them, at least a life sentence, they're not going to vote you know they're they're not going to say someone that whose name doesn't sound at all like Eric should be sent to prison Um, Before we go, uh, what do you hope viewers take away from watching the series? Well, it sounds kind of hypocritical to say, you know, watch my documentary, but murder is not entertainment, um, which I totally understand, but I do think that the documentary shows a more human side of the story and how you can't just binge watch a murder investigation. These are real people being affected by what's happening.
0: Well, Katie, thank you so much for joining me. Totally recommend that everyone checks out uh, both your reporting and also the series itself on Oxygen. (laughs) Unspeakable Crime, the Killing of Jessica Chan, is on Oxygen every Saturday at 7.30 p.m. Stick around. Up next, Stephanie sits down with the cast of the reboot of the show, Charmed. Very excited about that. Thank you.
1: Friday's. This is a Sit Down, and I'm here with Melanie Diaz, Sarah Jeffrey, and Madeline Mantock, stars of CW's Charmed. Guys, thank you so much for oh coming nice. on. Well, thanks thanks for thank you for us. having us. So we're so excited to see the reboot of the show. Uh, obviously, for those of you who don't know, it's about sisters who are discovering their powers as witches. So obviously, you guys are not sisters in real life, right? No. <laughs> no. So no, how not. do you create that sisterly bond on set? Long hours.
8: Yes, long hours. I could imagine that. Text messages, snacking. We have group chat that we're always on, doing little updates and,
9: um, yeah. I think it's just time. I mean, like we, you know, shoot a lot of long hours, so yeah. By that way, we just kind of yeah. And when we first
4: met, we like got together and had cocktails and had a little like, (laughs) okay, we can do this. Yes. Um, We had a little yeah, a little meet up before we started.
1: I love it. And you guys are, I said earlier, you have all your matching top nuts slash top ponies today. So you look like sisters, too. you got the (laughs) sister hairdos going on. So obviously, this version of Charmed stars three lovely women of color, obviously yourselves. And Melanie's character is a lesbian woman. So what do you think it means to see a more diverse cast of characters this time around?
9: Well, I mean, I feel like she is a lesbian, but that's not, like, a a big component of the character. The way the creators and I really talked about it is that she's just a human being and she's a sister, and we wanted to focus on that, and um, she's a woman who loves another woman, and that's about it. And so we're kind of just trying to, like, normalize that and Mm -hmm. not really, like, make it an issue or topic, which I think is really fresh and new, I mean, you know.
4: I love it that we have this opportunity with our show to showcase lots of different types of women and men. Mm -hmm. But, you know, to sort of say, you can be this way, that way, this way, and to sort of put different people, kind of like, you know, shatter the stereotypes that other people might have, you know, preconceived notions. I think it's, I mean, it's more interesting and it's real life, you know.
1: And I yeah, think your point is so sure. so amazing too. Where I feel like sometimes diversity feels like, oh, we will have you know a gay character, but it has their arc has to be all about being gay. But this is just part totally. of who she is. Like yeah. she has a total like a whole other life besides just the fact that she's mm-hmm. dating a woman.
9: Uh, I think so, and I think that you know our, our show is really trying to be inclusive to all, you know, different types of people and, se- and sexualities and yeah, we um, want
8: to take it as far as we can in terms of um, having everyone feel seen and being inclusive i think it's an exciting opportunity i feel very grateful to be able to use our platform to do this
1: yeah definitely so jenny snyder erman the showrunner of jane the virgin is your guys as the executive producer yeah, obviously we all okay. love jane the virgin here and that's a show too that has made such great strides in the way that uh, people are represented on yeah. television
9: mm-hmm.
1: what was it like when you guys found out you're going to be working with her
9: well, I mean, I had my first meeting with um, Jenny and Brad and Jessica and Amy, the writers, and like I was a little bit scared of like the Charmed, like legacy, like it's this, such a big fandom, and I wanted to make sure that like it was going to be heading in the right direction, and like they're just they're just great, and they're um, they're just really smart, and they really know how to modernize this epic show.
4: Mm. Jenny is so she's so quick, mm-hmm. but she's yes. also really considerate. And I guess that's what you need to be an EP. You know, she needs to make quick decisions, but also how she's got a brilliant head on her shoulders. And we're very lucky to have her. Mm
1: -hmm. You mentioned the legacy of the original Charm. Did you guys, are you fans of the original Charm? Did you watch it? Have you watched it since you got the parts, I assume?
4: Um, I watched the pilot once I was cast. Um, Because I don't know, I think when you're making a show, you don't really know what the tone is. And so I was like, I wonder, you know, what the tone of theirs was. And I I was aware of who those characters were, because it was such a kind of pop culture um, moment. Uh, I hadn't hadn't seen a great deal of the eight seasons, so I don't know if I could necessarily call myself a fan.
9: Yeah, yeah. I feel like it was like that show that was always on in like my family's house, and I definitely rewatched the pilot. It's important to be like you know aware of what what happened.
1: Yeah, yeah. I know when it came out that the new Charmed was being created, Holly Marie Combs tweeted that she wasn't super happy about that fact. What was that like for you guys? I mean, that must have been a little disappointing, right? Or have you talked Hi. to her since?
8: I mean, I understand it's such a personal thing, and we in no way want to take away from their experience. It's just sort of an addition to what I hope everyone sees as a family. Um, and, yeah, I hope, I hope she gives it a, a chance and opens her heart to it. Um, but no hard feelings, definitely.
9: Yeah. I mean, also, too, like, there's the negative stuff, but there's also, like, a lot of positive things, too. People are really excited, and we want to, like focus on that. Totally, yeah. We want
1: to focus on the positive yeah. stuff. So for people who did watch the original Charmed, what's one thing that you can tell them that might harken back to the original Charm they should be excited about and maybe one thing that's like new that they should be super pumped about? I
4: mean, there are so many things that are similar. You know, we, we without messing with the, the mythology of the original, we have so many things, whether that's like the Book of Shadows or the Power of Three, mm-hmm. the, the huge sense of sisterhood. I think that's like yeah. the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a white lighter, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely valuable. like this, you know, we have those same little sprinklings, but just new, new characters. And I yeah. hope that they'll be able to fall in love with Macy, Maggie and Mel.
8: I think, yeah, yeah it's just, a, it's a different time. So there's a lot that's also different. We're in 2018 and um, it's just, a lot
9: has changed. So it's an updated version. I mean, social media, that alone, that's a, like, <laughs> that's like a game changer of like <laughs> life. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So that'll be interesting to see how that's incorporated in our show. I want, yeah, I want to see how witches use social media. Yes. Yeah. Okay,
1: so I have to ask you guys. Obviously, you have all these superpowers on the show. What's, like, one thing that you would like to do if you were a witch and could do anything magical? Oh.
4: My thing is the languages. I want to be able to to know and understand and speak all the languages in the world so that I, can, I just think if I could communicate with everybody everywhere, that would be really cool.
1: It would be really cool. Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> that is a I good know, one. Like, I
8: was like, that wow. Is so
1: good.
8: <laughs> I want to do everything. I want to spend a day in Hogwarts. Mm. That's like, that would be amazing.
4: Yeah.
8: Right? I want to, can I come too? Yes. That's I want to
1: so go awesome. to Hogwarts. 100%. Do some flying, do everything. Yeah, yeah do I a little bit like of quidditch. You're quite into do the, the like,
8: teleporting. Oh, I, lo- I want to teleport. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have much time for vacation, so cut down on that flight time, and <laughs> you're right there Boom. on the beach.
1: Yeah, that sounds great, especially when you're sitting in, like, L.A. traffic, right? Right. Yes. <laughs> well, guys, thank you so much for sitting down with me. I'm so excited to see your show. Thank you. It premieres on Sunday, October 14th at 9 p.m. on The CW. Up next, Alex and I are responding to a few more of your tweets. All right, Alex, we did it. We did it. I did the show Survive on this Monday. Like five hours sleep. I'm post-marathon. When I went to go sit down on the couch, I think I was like, ah. You we weren't
0: sure if you can be able to get back up and walk across the
1: room. I did, I did, I did. And they were so great. I loved. They were
0: so to lovely. Them. And uh, and Miss Jonesy actually tweeted, "I am genuinely interested in this reboot. The narrative framework is very rich and filled with potential, and the new story looks like a lot of fun."
1: I know. I'm really excited. I saw the trailer, and it looks really good. So. I feel like
0: it's such a great October show to watch yeah. yeah yeah
1: i'm sure they did that on purpose right yeah, oh yeah for sure you know well we weren't only the only ones who loved the Banksy story we talked about earlier miss jonesy tweeted again miss jonesy we love you miss jonesy on fire <laughs> that banksy moment is fucking brilliant like i don't even like them but damn that was satisfying as fuck yeah i actually went down like a banksy wikipedia wormhole <laughs> like after i read that story for like 2 hours where i was just like looking at all of his art and stuff. Um, yeah, it was cool. I mean, I guess it's actually the person who spent like $1.5 million on a painting, but I don't have that kind of money, so I can't feel that one. Well, month. look, we have to find our joy where we can, so yeah, the exactly. story,
0: story was one of those moments. Well, listen, we also talked about Taylor Swift's political endorsements over the weekend, and Princess Leia said, I'd love to see a Rihanna endorsement. She may have already uh, done one, I'm not sure, or honestly, a Dixie Chicks endorsement. Lol, don't at me. I'm with you. They already tried that, I think. (laughs) Also, I love... Well, they tried it. may not have worked out so well for them. It did not
1: go very well for them. But you
0: know what? I think, like, in this day
1: and age, they would have been different. But I
0: love... I mean, look, okay. So, with Rihanna, I could wear her makeup. I could wear her underwear line. I could vote for the candidates that she endorses.
1: I think that she's just going to, like, rule the entire world in, like, five years. Also, that... And I am totally and utterly, completely okay with it. Did you see the meme that she tweeted out? That's like her going like this, and it said, when fans ask where my music is, or like when new music is coming out. I think she put it on Instagram, it's really funny. She's giving us everything. She Let's loves to meme her, to... she loves to be a meme. I mean, I get it, if I was famous, I would like being a funny meme. Very fair,
0: well listen, thank you to our guests, Madeline Mantock, Melanie Diaz, Sarah Jeffrey, Katie Baker, Casey Johnson, Chris Guidner, Paul McCloud, and Rashad Robinson.
1: We'll be back hosting again tomorrow, so stay tuned, we'll see you tomorrow.